everybody and welcome to the very 151st Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I am Ava Foxfort and I'm joined today by the lovely Quinton Smith. I'm going to burp. <coughs> no, uh, no, I'm not. Hello, Ava. How's it going? Sorry, uh, apparently we have the unlovely Quinton Smith with us today. I apologise for the mistake. <laughs> Don't remove my moniker. God. Uh... Well, thank you for that intro that I absolutely uh, pancaked into. Uh, how's your day going over? Um, it is a little bit too hot because I've had to close the window and I hate that I have to do that in order to record a podcast. But I do, or you'll hear random noises. But instead of random noises, today you are going to be listening to us make non-random noises about two board games that we well, I think we like these more than you expected to like them, but I don't know. We'll see. Let's see what happens. We're going to be talking about Trek 12, published by Pandasaurus Games, um, a little roll and write about mapping out and roping up a mountain for other people to climb up. And we're going to be playing Fast Sloths, a game where you are the sloths and other people are doing the hard work. Only those people are the animals of the forests. It's it's 4 p.m. on a Monday. What kind of time is that? What kind of life is this? I, I don't know, Ava. I'm sorry. It's a great life. We get to talk about board games and we're getting paid for it. And that's cool because we love board games, right? Do you love board games still, Quins? I do still. <laughs> I do still love them. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I love any of the games we're going to be talking about today. Not to tip my hand. <laughs> Right, we're here to talk about board games that we love, but we're going to talk about board games that we don't love. Is that the plan? That's a weird plan. So up first, we're going to be talking about Trek 12, um, a game by Pandasaurus and designed by uh, board game legend Bruno Cathala and also a person called Corentin Lebrat. Trek 12 is a roll and write game that sees you climbing a mountain. Now, if you're not aware of roll and write games, let me ask you a question. Do you know what Yahtzee is? And if the answer's no, then okay, well, let's get into the weeds. Um, in Trek 12, um, every player has a piece of paper with a mountain on it and there's a couple of dice in the middle of the table and someone's gonna roll those dice and then everyone together looks at the numbers and has to use the random numbers that were rolled uh, to produce another number, which we'll get to. And then you're gonna write that number in a circle on your sheet. Now what you're trying to do as you fill in all these circles over the mountain is you're trying to either map routes or rope routes together. And now if you write ascending numbers, like a two, three, four, five, six, then you're gonna draw a rope between those circles and that's gonna score you a lot of points. Um, or you can map uh, circles by having them be adjacent and the same number. So if you write a four next to a four next to a four, that's great. All of those circles have been mapped. And the reason you want to map and rope circles is because it's going to get you juicy points, but also because at the end of the game, any circle you have not mapped or roped is going to be negative points, a rule that I didn't teach Ava until last, and it sort of suddenly makes the game seem a lot more intimidating. But the reason Trek 12 is exciting, um, and actually there are a few reasons, um, the first of which is it's a little sort of campaign roll and write, because what you can do is it's only like a 10, 15 minute game. Um, so you can give out these little sheets to everybody and you can climb a simple mountain. But then once you're done, you can take your scores from that and move on to a second sheet. You can whip out another sheet, um, similar to the structure of Galaxy Chucker, actually, if you've played that game, where you're going to start with a sort of small level, then you're going to play the whole game again, but on a bigger scale, then you're going to play the whole game again, but with even more at stake. And that's what Trek 12 does, which I think, I mean, Ava, there's other juicy stuff this game does, but I really like that because for me, I often finish a roll and write and there's like... 
if you're playing a good roll and write like Railroad Inc. or Welcome To, there's this sense that you finish it. And if there was just a sort of nudge, if there was some, if the game sort of gave you a little nudge in the elbow, you might uh, play it again. And what Trek 12 does, and I'm discovering on this podcast that Trek 12 is a kind of a tongue twister. So <laughs> this is getting quite annoying already. What Trek 12 does is uh, it sort of gives you that nudge. It gives you that friendly nudge to say, hey, why don't you play again? Why don't you play again? Why don't you play again? Uh, and I thought that was uh, quite, quite, quite cool. God, this game is absolutely <laughs> undermining me. 150 Shut Up and Sit Down podcasts of me being in control of my voice. And Trek 12 has made a fool of me, Ava. 10 Trek 12, 12 Trek, no, no, no. Yeah, I think uh, I think this game's really quite cute. Like, I think that there was, there's a couple of interesting thing details that I think are worth getting into. Like one of them is the fact that you're doing, when you are picking these numbers, you aren't just looking at the dice, you are allowed to do operations with the dice. So you can either pick the low number or the high number, or you can add the two dice together, or you can subtract the low one from the high one, or you can multiply them. Uh, but each of these operations, you can only conduct four times during your, your kind of run up the mountain. But you don't actually have to go up the mountain vertically. You pick one location and then expand outwards from there, which means that you don't really feel like you're climbing so much as you are just like filling and colouring in a mountain with numbers. But this limitation on the way you can use the operators means that you've got to think about how beneficial it is to manipulate these dice in different ways. And it makes the curve of the dice and the curve of the available options really opaque in a way that I think is quite cute, but also might kind of destroy the brain of some people or make some people be able to just like immediately excel at this because they have a better understanding of the probability curve or like completely just leave people just going like what i could say that you know track 12 might excite you if you realize that your odds of filling in a circle you need to with a low number are based on what the odds are of you rolling a three if you can reduce the results of one dice by the results on another dice does that sound exciting? Because, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, it kind of excites me. It excites me a little bit. I feel like Trek 12 is kind of a, a little buffet of the, the level of maths I can actually do, which is like, what is the odds of rolling a 10 if you can multiply two dice together? And that's kind of the, the glass ceiling above me in terms of how intelligent I can get with mathematics. And Trek 12 is there for me. It's letting me do those simple, simple sums. Yeah, and there's just something in the fact that like, I am very, very used to understanding like these are two dice. That means that the odds of me rolling a seven are on both of the two dice added together is higher than anything else. And I know intuitively that curve because I am quite boring and have been playing board games for a very long time. But like this is taking two dice and then asking me to do enough different things with it. And there's something interesting in that the game is about like kind of rationing out these operations and rationing out how often you're going to like, do you want... What do you want to be doing with that? Like it makes high numbers significantly less likely to come up. But then, so do you risk putting a 12 somewhere? Uh, this whole conversation came about because we, we were playing this on boardgamearena.com, which uh, sort of lets you play board games as if they were a website. What will the board game scientists think of next? Um, but in trying to be helpful, the Board Game Arena implementation of Trek 12 does all of this maths for you. So rather than saying, or oh, you can multiply these dice together, or you can subtract one from the other, or you can add them or whatever, um, it just says, do you want a seven, a 10, a four or a six or whatever? Um, and you just simply click the number you want and you click the circle, it goes in. And weirdly, even though this is like kind of a service that obviously, you know, Board Game Arena kind of has to provide because asking you to do the maths and type the number in would be insane. <laughs> 
Um, it's one of those moments we've learned, uh, for me, it was one of those moments over the pandemic that taught me where some of the magic lies in board games, because you'd never think forcing players to do arithmetic is part of the fun. But forcing players to engage with the probabilities that they're playing with is kind of the game. And playing Trek 12 on a website that did all the sums for you sort of felt kind of a little bit anodyne, even at the same time that it was being helpful. Yeah, I mean, it certainly made it quicker. And I think I would be really irritating to play this with in real life because my ability to keep five different permutations of numbers in my head is very low, even though my ability yes. to do the actual maths itself is also quite low. But I, I've, I've got scams that seem to make it work most of the time. Um, <laughs> so like trying to work out those permutations, I think it would be... I think it would be slow, but I think it would probably be quite meditative in that because you are just doing a load of little simple puzzles and then making a decision between those puzzles. And I say puzzles, I literally mean sums, like very basic sums. There's not that much here. Like we're talking about multiplying up to 12. Like it's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that may, without doing that mass you're not getting the intuitive grasp on what the options are and how likely certain things are to happen and that that does take a little bit of the magic away even if it does also turn this into a game that you can literally play in a couple of minutes and which means you could string together a campaign in like 15 minutes half an hour which is on the website yeah, yeah. quite cute and i imagine that would be about not double that but it would be more it would be more in person but it would be nice because it's the act of sitting around with people and doing maths and ticking off boxes and there's a lot of little satisfactions in there that are obviously going to be missing if you're doing it online ava i'm going to launch an opinion at you are you ready okay okay i'm ready i've got my hands out i th i th <laughs> okay ready yeah, ready yeah. go long Whoa! i think I think Trek 12 is one of the better roll and write games i've ever played what I mean, I which it like I'm not I'm not saying it's a great one. Yeah, I'm just saying like on the on the curve. I think I think it's good. I think it's good. What do you think? You're gonna catch that opinion? You're gonna throw it back to me? Are you gonna drop it on the floor? Disgusted? Do you know what? I think I I don't know. I can't say. Having played one one third of an expedition, um, I couldn't tell you that very accurately. Like the thing with Roland White games is a lot of them are so so simple and straightforward and so quick. Um, and I think the best ones are both of those things. And this is in that category. It's simple, it's quick, you can just get the thing done. And I think it's something that I would very rarely turn turn down. Um, yeah. I don't think it's as nice and cosy as Railroad Inc. I don't think it is excitingly full of options as Fleet the Dice Game or Three Sisters. But it's in that top third Oh, that sounds really savage, actually, doesn't it? But I, I, it's, it's, in the, it's, it's up in the thing of like, oh, yeah, that's going to be a nice thing. No, I do kind of agree. It's in the top 33% of all Roll and Write games ever published. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, um, I, I do want to talk about two things about it that I do really like, which, frankly, other Roll and Write games should absolutely steal. So the way the campaign works, if you're stringing together multiple games on multiple different maps... Um, is that players get stars for certain things. They get a star if they beat everyone else at the table with their final score. They get a star if they finish, or they can get multiple stars on later legs of the campaign, but they can get a star if they sort of pass what's like the par for the level. So the beginner level is like, if you get at least 65 points, you're going to get a star. But then also, and I love this, you can get a star in the campaign if you got on this map the highest score that anyone has ever gotten on this copy of the game. So if you absolutely smash the first leg of the mountain and then you check all the other sheets that presumably you've kept, because I do that with my rule and rights, I don't know why, humans are hoarders, don't email me. But you can then be like, oh my God, you can check 
all those other games that you've played and you go, oh, this is the highest score anyone's ever gotten on this map in track 12, you get another star. And I think that is awesome and makes the most of the fact that with Roland Wrights, you keep all the scores. And I think it's cute. And I think it fits the theme of mountaineering. I think that is great. But Ava, what I really want your opinion on is, is Envelope Gate. Okay, so in podcast 143, when Tom and I were talking about The Loop, which is a time travel game, The Loop is a game, it's a cooperative game, and it's really pretty great and looks great and great theme. It has all these different modules and components and scenarios you can play, all this extra content to keep the game fresh. But because the game just sort of goes, here it all is, um, there's not that much of an incentive to go back in and try it all. And what we discussed on podcast 143 was that if they had hidden those components and new scenarios and different playable characters in envelopes and then sealed them, and if they say, okay, the first time you beat a game, you're allowed to open envelope number one, that would be a way of delivering additional content that would really excite me and that would see me going back for game after game of the loop. Now, what Trek 12 does, um, it succeeds at the envelope test, Ava. So when you get Trek 12, Contained in the box are a bunch of envelopes and printed on the envelopes are things that players have to achieve. So like you have to get a zone that's at least five spaces wide or whatever. And there's a few of these envelopes and anytime any player in any game of Trek 12 um, achieves one of these objectives, they can rip open that envelope and, and find whatever components are in there. I don't know what components are in there. I've only played this game digitally. But, um, but Trek 12 has picked up on what we're putting down, which is that all game expansion content should be in envelopes and should be gated by arbitrary challenges. What do you think about that? Do you agree with me and maybe Tom? I can't remember what we <laughs> thought. I mostly agree. The envelopes are the future of board games. Um, I think that is uh, ludicrously cute. And that is probably the thing that is tilting me into like actually thinking I might want to get a copy of this game. Oh-ho. Which is weird because i actually find campaign and like modes of games that are like more campaigny like i find them really frustrating because i always feel like i'm not getting enough out of it unless i can find that magical group that will play the 12 games of this thing with me and what if we get a certain of the way through and it becomes clear that i'm just better at it than the person i'm playing with my city verity mm. i apologize <laughs> but but that little twist on it making it about achievements making it about like here's a little treat if somebody manages to do this thing right that is so cool like that is so much nicer than a campaign and it's not even like oh someone has to win it's like you can lose but do something super cool which like playing games with matt of this website you know matt lee's matt does that all the time and often you know chase some you know uh bizarre challenge of his own creation um but the fact that you can be sitting with someone who's losing but then does something awesome and then they can show you their sheet and you can be like oh wow you pulled that off and then you get to all open an envelope because of what your friend did i think that's really cute it sounds like you're on board it sounds ava you know what let's make this official introduction would you like to join my envelope party my envelope political party more envelopes in board games i I, no, I, 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 I'll be honest with you, Ava. This, this offer is not going to last forever. If you say no now, I can't promise that we'll have room for you in the envelope. Party uh, I am uh, committed to revolutionary politics. That means that I don't really want to get involved in political parties. But if I was going to get involved, you would be about like third on my list. So well done. Uh, uh, wait, what? That, ah. Uh. So next we want to talk about a game by Friedman Freezer, a person who makes slightly divisive games. I mean, he's most well known for Power Grid, which is a game that uh, Tom uh, hates with such a 
deep vehemence that I kind of admire it, even though I quite like the game, think it's all right. I'll tell you what else, Ava. Uh, Flea, also by Friedman Freezer, is maybe the game I've seen Matt have the worst reaction to in terms of it making him super angry. And Fabled Fruit, also by Friedman Freezer, is one of the most annoying games that I've ever played. So Friedman Freezer is kind of on a journey through the entire editorial team of the site, annoying us one after another. <laughs> I Yeah, no, it's true. I, I wonder what he's going to get me with. Because um, I'm currently like, I mean, Power Glee is probably my least favourite and I think it's a pretty like solid, solid game. But uh, I really loved Fayim, which uh, we talked about in a podcast a while back. I've got another one. I've got another one. Uh, back when Paul Dean used to work for this site, 504 was a review that um, you can oh, still find yeah. on our YouTube channel that Paul absolutely loathes. So oh, it's such a horrible idea. Mm, mm. I haven't pl- I haven't played it but like just as soon as I had that idea I was like wow that's really clever and awful <laughs> yeah people at home feel free to google uh, the board game 504 if you want to see uh, uh, a technically interesting idea that would be horrible to play but this is neither of those games today we're going to talk about a newer game of Friedman Freezer's called Fast Sloths which is all about racing on the slowest animal in the forest um, and the trick to this game is that you, as sloths, basically can't move. All you can do is try and convince all of the other animals around you to pick you up and take you where you want to be. So this is a race where you are all sloths racing to get to all of as many trees as you can around on this board as quickly as possible uh, with the help of a selection of animals with special abilities and different ways of moving and different kinds of terrain that they can move on. Um, and so on your turn, you will pl- pick up some cards from a selection of cards of different things that give you the animals that you can move. Then you will play some cards of the same animal to uh, move that animal, which will be able to pick you up at some point on their journey and drop you off. And depending on what it is, it might do something weird. It might be like a chain of ants that carries you on their heads. It might be an orangutan that throws you once it's got to a certain point. Oh, the elephant throws you. The elephant carries you for a bit and then is sick of your bs and and lobs you across the map yeah i think both i think both of them do i think there's two there's two different ways of being thrown (laughs) that work differently (laughs) depending on which animal you're being thrown on uh there is a, a unicorn that's actually a bit rubbish and yeah and a giraffe that is able to go deep enough into the river that it's one of the few things that can go on land and water and so yeah and all of these things they're they're quite nice and cute and clever ideas and they're scattered around the map and you get to jump on them and they carry you somewhere and then you're in a place and you're just trying to race to get to these places but everyone's on the same board everyone's using the same animals which means that your plan carefully worked out about i'm going to go up here and i'm going to get the elephant to throw me over there and then the ants will give me a column over there and you can see what you're going to do with the whole map you can't do it because everyone else is in other bits of the map taking those ants and taking them to completely the wrong place and just moving everything around in a way that is inevitably really unhelpful for you. And I think it's really quite cute. It's it's very cute. All of the animal tokens are these lovely wooden discs. The board is a kind of, it's not it's not a pretty board, but it's kind of a large board, which is almost as good. Um, really <laughs> sprawls across the whole table. And yeah, it's, no, you you nailed the description. I mean, I guess the what, what you're underselling is the hand management because, you know, at that start of your turn, you can pick up a few animals, but they all have to be different. And then you can play a set of all the same animal. And if you ideally have collected a whole bunch of movement points, you can blast that crocodile or elephant off at top speed and it can launch you across the board 
But the more trees you visit, the more eucalyptus you eat, the slower and stodgier your sloth gets, which means you pick up less cards. You can hold less cards, which is really punitive. And uh, that means that as you sort of pass more and more of the... Um, the waypoints that you need to win the race, uh, you are going to be sort of more and more hobbled, uh, which is quite sweet. But yeah, basically Fast Dust is a game of getting on an animal and then trying to wedge that animal so deep into a corner that no one else can possibly use it. And it's like you are basically like the baton in a relay race being conducted yes, yes, by a load of different people who are all, all don't really care about each other and are just kind of doing, yeah, whatever other people say. It's It's... I don't know. There's something about this. Like, I will say it is it is a game that is like kind of, I think it should be family friendly, but it's very, very pernickety in the details. Of it. Mm, yeah. Having to learn the exact specific movement rules for ants when you create those conveyor belts and like it's is is tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And a game with this this kind of like cuteness and silliness and appeal, it's a really frustrating one to be getting out halfway through the game and saying, oh, actually, sorry, I've had the rules for uh, monkeys ever so slightly wrong throughout this game. And that means that this doesn't work how that is, because it's just a little bit, it's got actually a similar problem to Fyom in that like the the it's got diagrams on it that show you what what the thing does and they don't quite tell you everything and then the text that backs them up isn't quite clear enough to actually make everything really explicit but i we played a game of this online and i immediately ran out and got myself a copy of it because i think it's really cute and silly and fun and not really like anything else that i own and that's kind of the bar that i have it's like if something's cute and fun and i enjoy it and isn't too similar to anything else and this isn't like anything else like i can't think of a comparison i totally agree i was really excited to get this to the table because it's a unique theme like you say it doesn't play like anything else and it is cute which i don't always expect from freeman freezer you know sometimes these games are about you know leaving work to go to the pub or grim futures or like it, or you know sometimes these games just have this really gross and icky and drippy art style and fast loss isn't that you can just move an elephant and then put your little wooden sloth on an elephant and then you know move across the board into a thicket of trees and it all feels quite quaint i'm with you ava i kind of really wanted to like this and none of my friends really dug it yeah. uh not the person who won not the person who came last because you like it i'm gonna try and play devil's advocate but it's kind of tepid the card play is almost really crunchy and interesting and how the placement of animals is almost really crunchy and interesting and the theme is almost really cute but it's held back by some art that i think is a little bit cheap i feel like it's it's seven out of tens and not eight out of tens across the board what do you say to that it's hard to argue with it i think that what this game is is a little bit under edited what i would really like to see is a second generation of this game that has is a lot more particular about what the animals are that are in there because i think that i think that there's a thing of like there's some really interesting things in there but like so the game you play with six animal types in each game um uh, it is an, a, an initial setup that it recommends but after that there's actually supposed to be a an intro phase where everyone takes turn picking animals and deciding where they're going to go um which i think is a really uh, a cute and clever way to do things and there's 12 animals in the box so there's this room for variety but as as we already mentioned a couple of the animals actually do very similar things so they're not quite as interesting a couple of the animals just do quite boring things and that aren't very aren't very spicy and very exciting and yeah i just there's just a 
a flatness to some of the variety in it that I think is frustrating, particularly as it's got like a little extra expansion and the expansion just adds more board variety rather than more animal variety. And I think that a Star Trek, the next generation version of Fast Sloths where like there was a new version of each of the animals or some different cards that you could put in and just slightly tighter, more precise rules for everything that meant that every animal was genuinely exciting but also quite easy to learn oh sorry i just got you what you're saying you're talking about the jump from star trek to the next generation that jump yes. from from cheap sort of like you know kirk slapping people to john luke picard being actually classy that's the you're not talking about a, i thought you were talking about like getting phases in fast sloths <laughs> i thought you were talking about weird alien animals that i hadn't seen before i was so confused but i'm with you now thanks no yeah that's that that's what i'm looking for i love the theme i just think those animals need to be more spicy yeah we finished our first game and it was kind of an unsatisfying ending because one of the four players really scouted out a good racing line another players just didn't click with the card play so you know he felt like he was really losing the whole time but when we finished it there was this sense that we all kind of wanted to try it again and and have something that was a bit more complicated a bit more juicy but the game gives you no direction it doesn't well for a start it gives you no envelopes but you know don't get me started on envelopes <laughs> oh Oh god this game would be better with envelopes quins i hate it when you're right <laughs> oh my god imagine you've got six animals then you open it up and now there's a eagle taxi service <laughs> but you've got these randomized boards and then the first expansion is like well there's two more double-sided randomized boards so you can make all kinds of random i don't know what maps to make so like the best race game we've reviewed on the site in a while um tom covered in a video it's called cubitos and it's this mm. it's not totally a race so much as it's a dice building game but you know you can search for cubitos on our youtube channel if you want to see um tom painted entirely in green for reasons that i still don't fully understand but fast loss you know doesn't have what cubitos has cubitos says this is your first race it's gonna be fun and you're done i'll oh, move on to a second race it's gonna be wacky and different fast loss gives you that intro setup and then the next setup says and it can be anything you can have any animals any map i don't want any animals any map i want a difficult map or i want you know I, I want you to maybe give me an option of what kind of game i want to have that random replayability is only interesting if the game is rock solid and with fast loss that first play isn't quite good enough so i don't want randomness i want you know um i want something that can strengthen the game you know yeah yeah that's it and it, yeah and it could even be that it could even just be like a couple of menus for different combination of animals that work nicely together and will do interesting things so you knew that that was there but in order for that to be worthwhile, the animals all just need to be tighter and more interesting and 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 it isn't it isn't there. So honestly, basically, you're right. It's a seven out of ten game. I just think it could have been an eight. And I want it to be an eight so much that I kind of have a bit of eight in my heart for it. You know, I, I totally feel you. And if we're if we're fishing for good things about Fast Loss, then I like the fact that you're manipulating the animals, but you, that means that so much of the game is in trying to think about what would be useful for your opponents and trying to second guess what cards they have and then trying to park animals in awkward locations. Because if you're just trying to use the animals you've got in front of you to mathematically create the best race around the table, then that's actually not as interesting as what the game actually is, or at least can be, which is you all have control of the animals and therefore putting an animal somewhere like wedging them in a corner is sort of both funny and thought-provoking and what makes this different from a normal race game is is the way that moving animals away from your opponents is theoretically as good as as using them yourself but um in a four or five player game there's no sense like trying to make it so that the ants you know ruin someone else's ant conveyor belt because you're better served just trying to propel yourself towards your next eucalyptus leaf 
Um, but I was thinking to myself, maybe this is a really good two-player game. Because in a two-player game, moving animals away from your opponent is exactly as good as using animals to get yourself around the line. Uh, the racing line, I mean. So maybe this is a really good two-player game. Let's do it live. Let's go to Board Game Geek. Let's let's search for fast sloths. Let's see if BGG users say that it is a really good two-player game. They say, no, they say better than four to five players. Okay, that whole theory's in the bin there. <laughs> oh, but it's something that needs like a train-style map that's designed for two players that would be really interesting. I just, I think there's so much potential in this system that isn't quite there in the game. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. But Friedman Friesen, I think, you know, he would be the first to admit he's a fabulously experimental designer. And some of the, you know, biggest innovations in board games in the last five years can be traced back to some of Friedman Friesen's designs. I don't think Friedman Friesen is the guy who wants to sit and and refine a design for two years before releasing it. Um, And that's a shame because he has great ideas. It's a shame because he comes up with such clever ideas that I really, really want to see them get that extra year or two's refinement. refinement, Because I think that with that, they would be some of the best games available you know and i think that the amount of people who think that power grid is is literally the best game probably is a sign of that because i feel like that was earlier in his career when he probably did put those extra extra years into making the the most interesting thing but i'm still really glad that he's out there making these weird things because they are so interesting to look at and learn at and even if they don't end up being like at the peak of my collection there's still things that i'm really glad to have because they're so unusual and yeah that's that's a bar for me we started this discussion by saying that Friedman Frieser had managed to upset at different points like almost the entire mem- the entire team of shutupsitdown.com but i think we can all also agree the industry would be far poorer without him absolutely <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. And if you want some more, if you're craving more content, if you're desperate for more design analysis, over on our YouTube channel, I published a review this week that I had, well, last week, that I had a lot of fun with. And that's a review of Hostage Negotiator Career. If you head over to our YouTube channel, you can see me dressed as a very low quality cop, um, talking about a one player game in which you play a hostage negotiator. And the expansion Hostage Negotiator Career turns what is, you know, like a quite simple, straightforward solo game into an entire campaign where you play a 10 year career of a hostage negotiator and it's basically like existing in your own uh, personal private series of airport novels and uh, and i also had a great time getting the rest of team shut up and sit down to pretend to be criminals for the skits in the review ava I, I saw someone saying um they really liked the way you said what do you want pig that felt uh, <laughs> i felt like a comment that was um very <laughs> it felt like as an actor you you really kind of you had that line close to the surface already dare i say <laughs> i don't know what you could possibly be thinking about <laughs> okay cool um and uh, what what do you have uh for the rest of the day ava what's happening in your life i think i'm playing board games tonight <laughs> what i know more board I know. games i think i'm playing some board games over the internet with some people what are you playing um, I don't know. I, I, it might actually be my my chance to give Agricola its third and final chance to make me not hate it. Um, You're going to play Agricola tonight. I might this is do. a special I night. Might do. I might do. I, uh, there's a good chance I'm actually just going to sack that off and just teach them to X12 inst- instead. But let's see what happens. What's that? Wait, what? So what are you going to teach them instead? 
Trek 12. Oh, Trek 12. Oh, cool. Play the campaign. Yeah, see what you think. See what you think. <laughs> Do that because then this podcast kind of goes full circle because it started with Trek 12 and it ends with Trek 12. I yeah, like that. Yeah, what a lovely Trek we've been on. Wah. Wah, wah. That was weird. I don't like how you made me make that sound. Yeah, sorry. I don't I don't I don't like making that sound myself. Um and it really left you nowhere to go. Thanks everybody for watching slash listening. Goodbye. That this is this there's something about the incredibly sloppy energy of this podcast that I really like. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah.